Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... It's Candice Lepage. And Candice, let me just, let me just uh, get my my notes for the show out. I'm going to, I have to, I'm so far into the notebook now that I have to bookmark it. And oh, it's my bookshelf. I didn't buy it on Amazon bookshelf uh, bookmark. Just, you know, although I, I do have to confess, I do sometimes buy things on Amazon, which uh, is, is apparently a skill, a reputable, uh, a reputable killer for hire. Uh, needs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I so. did notice the heavy Amazon uh, sponsorship in uh, this week's <laughs> movie. Yes. And I too have a I didn't buy it on Amazon bookshelf uh, <laughs> bookmark right here beside me. In fact. Oh, wow. So this is heavy bookshelf sponsorship on uh, the show this week. Um, real, real, real yin yang about consumerism right here off the bat. Uh, all right, well, we'll get on with the show. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the, new- the newest movies, which this week will be the new action thriller, The Killer, which you can... Oh, that all rhymes. I didn't even type in this <laughs> up. Anyway, uh, The Killer, which you can now see on Netflix. Um, the Killer Ironically, comes... not on Prime. I... Yeah, real missed opportunity there. Um <laughs> you know, for corporate synergy. Um, so, uh, The Killer is a new film from David Fincher. It's his 12th film. Uh, David Fincher is a very well-known director behind a lot of really great films like Seven, Fight Club, Zodiac, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Gone Girl. So this is a man who is uh, eminently uh, qualified as a, as a director, as a stylist, as a as a culture maker and so we are going to spend the first part of our show here paying tribute to the fincher by doing a fincher draft so we have five spots each and along with the 12 movies david fincher uh had a creative control of uh four different netflix series house of cards mindhunter love death and robots and voir uh, so those are also eligible, even though I want to note David Fincher did not direct every episode of those shows. But again, he was a main creative force behind them. And I've also made a list of music videos that Candice has already noted that she would like to make substitutions for. All right. So let's get to drafting. Um, Candice, you can either have the first pick and then I will go second. Or you can have the second and third picks and i will go first which which way do you want to go oh my goodness okay so um <laughs> yikes see okay i feel like uh because i have so few big fincher um uh <laughs> hits <laughs> on my list mhm uh, I think that I will take the first and, okay. and let you go two and three at okay. the same time. All right. So you get first, you draw first blood appropriately yeah. enough. Yeah. All right. Hit so uh, I am taking Fight Club first. So it's, it's, 
<laughs> it's possible that this was not even remotely on your list. And I think that there are a lot of people who actually um, have some problems with this movie, uh, mm-hmm. particularly in the now time frame as opposed to the 1999 time frame in which it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, this movie was kind of perfect and spoke to everything I was going through in 1999, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because a lot of people feel that this is a very gender-specific film and that this this movie just like appealed to men in their 20s and 30s mm-hmm. at the turn of the millennium, uh, which I would agree uh, that it definitely did. And I would say that I just fell into that that group because I had a lot of anger. <laughs> I had a lot of anger through my teens and 20s. And um, this movie just like, it was such a great outlet for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is clearly about male toxicity. And in some ways kind of, uh, not some ways, it glorifies male toxicity for sure. And I know a lot of people sort of look back at this and they're just like, this is terrible. And what were we doing? But I think that it had a lot to say about how deeply unfulfilling life was at the turn of the millennium, Mm -hmm. which is ironic because now I think many of us would just go back to that. We'd be like, Oh, thank God. Can't we just go back to that? Like life was so much better (laughs) then. Um, But we were really in this like place where it was like consumerism was a problem um just not caring uh people just sort of going through day to day it was kind of like the switch of career lifestyles from the boomers to sort of gen x millennial where people are like oh maybe i can actually get more meaning out of my job than just like going to work every day and so mm-hmm. a lot of us were just sort of in this weird place like what what how do we deal with this um i would argue that maybe starting a fight club isn't the right way to deal with it but then mm-hmm. perhaps bombing all of the financial institutions <laughs> is. <laughs> the opinions maybe, expressed. Maybe that is the right way credits. to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this movie was just, it was so good. And it was such, it was so stylistic. Um, mm-hmm. And really, I think after um, Seven, really sort of set the, like, this is Fincher's style. Mm-hmm. A lot of, lot of game erasure there, but that's okay. Um <laughs> No, I it's it, it's pro it's, it's like there's probably no better movie that captures millennial angst more than than Fight Club. And I you know, David Fincher has sort of um let's say separated himself from uh from sort of the ways the internet has adapted uh, or adopted the messages of Fight Club. Um so that I think I think to to take it for its angstiness and and you know, angst can speak to anyone. I think that's right. All right, so um, I'm going to draw First Blood my own by taking this one off the board, which is The Social Network, um, which, you know, we, this year it's, you know, the one of the movie trends of 2023 has been stories about companies and the legends of how companies are formed and how brands are formed. And I think you can blame The Social Network for that, except um, a very few of those movies take like the, ex- the extremely critical um lens that social network takes there are no heroes in the social network um just sort of you know uh the the fight over sort of a billion dollar idea and how that informed these i mean essentially like school (laughs) relationships you know these all these people involved in the formation of facebook almost all of them 
um, were, were students at the time. And of course, we're, we're you know, long living consequences. And you hear, you know, some names in, in the social network, like Peter Thiel. It's like, well, Peter Thiel's uh, got a pretty big role in how the discourse is uh, nowadays. And I think it's hard to separate the Jesse Eisenberg portrayal of Mark Zuckerberg from the actual Mark Zuckerberg. I think a lot of people see Mark Zuckerberg IRL and, and think Jesse Eisenberg. Um, and, you know, that may or may not be uh, good for, <laughs> for, for Mark. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's so dour and it's, uh, it's so atmospheric too. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, that fight club idea that of how fight club established a certain style for, for Fincher. It's still there in social network, although, um, it is about men fighting, just not physical fighting. So uh, there are definitely connections. Um, for my second pick, hmm, I'm taking Zodiac off the board too. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Zodiac, I think um, it's not even about the serial killer. I don't know if that, like, because it wasn't that successful and i wonder if like there were just like a bunch of serial killer heads who were like it's not about zodiac it's about these other guys um because like most of the zodiac stuff is the first hour and then the rest of it is just about how you know being obsessed with the zodiac ruined these three men's lives um i feel like you know in seven sort of contributed to the whole like like creepy killer vibe that sort of emerged uh, you know over the years whether we're talking about you know dexter or criminal minds and uh you know the 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 what's the guy's name who's the detective in the movie that doesn't do anything i know who i'm talking about <laughs> the, the kiss the girls character <laughs> that morgan freeman played right yeah you know th- those movies um you know all that goes back to seven and i think like almost i think it's like a 10 years after seven he does zodiac and i, I think like zodiac is Fincher saying like this is everything I have to say about because he was attached to a ton of different serial killer projects too. Like he was attached to Black Dahlia. He was attached to the uh, adaptation of the the Brian Michael Bendis graphic novel Torso, which was about the the Cleveland serial killer in the '30s. Um, so I, I think this is Fincher just saying like, here's everything I have to say on the topic of serial killers. Thank you. Well, like so with the exception of Mindhunter, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you for playing. Here's Zodiac. Uh, everyone have a good night. And uh, I, I think I think it serves as sort of like a a perfect bookend to this like sort of serial killer fascination phase he helped launch with Seven. So um, yeah, Social Network and Seven. Those are my first two picks. Zodiac, you said. What did I say? You well, you just said Seven, but you meant Zodiac. That's right. I meant Zodiac. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. So I did. I I knew by letting you go that I definitely ran the risk of losing Zodiac, which was originally my next pick um, for most of the same reasons um, you've put in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Though I would also argue, interestingly, I believe that Zodiac is absolutely a horror film, um, but it's not really uh, uh, set in that genre. And in yeah. fact, when you look at Fincher's films, only one of them technically qualifies as a horror. So I'm going to take that one next, which is Alien Cubed. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> which... Is not so. Uh, I, it's definitely not Fincher at his best, and that's because there was so much, so much going on around him, mm. um, against like just definitely against him and against a lot of things. Um, 
and you know he, certainly he has he has better films for sure but i think that it's it's important it's an important film in that uh he got it was his first and he got to make it he got to you know move from from uh, a lot of videos into movie making which is mm quite a jump mm. but his videos were just so stylistic that obviously that that gave him a lot to work with in alien 3 mm-hmm. and i would say that some of the best things about alien 3 is the very specific visual sort of medium mm. um and what's really quite interesting is that it's also so different from everything else that fincher has done fincher is very whites and blues mm-hmm. black and white and alien 3 is just so yellow mm-hmm. it's just like yellow everywhere and it's really interesting to see him work in a totally different sort of look and feel um but still mm-hmm. still have a lot of his own sort of sort of look to it um i think what's interesting too about alien 3 is it was also a fairly slow moving film there Mm. was a lot more sort of conversation um you know particularly between um ripley and the doctor whose name i can't remember Mm -hmm. just a lot of like contemplation about what it is like uh again uh and we might talk about it a little bit when we talk about the movie um (laughs) <laughs> Fincher is a man and his his films are very much about men. Yeah. Um and so seeing him sort of figure out how to put one woman into this location. Yeah. That is all men and very um I wouldn't even say it's patriarchal because all they had was men. Yeah. And so it's so bizarre to suddenly, you know, make this this gender thing, which I think a lot of alien the series is so much about gender yeah um accidentally yeah because the very first film you know was all just presumably men just genderless people and then they cast women to be some of the roles which just created this gender tension that didn't actually exist on the page and That's then it right. just continues you know in alien 3 it's a really interesting way to look at you know this society of men where people they divided into more homely um you know wifely duties mm. and more leadership and more some violent and some very peaceful and then suddenly you put one woman in and it's like oh <laughs> right we have like we've created this society around our own gender doing these duties and now what do we do i, I don't know yeah. it's uh it's just a really interesting especially with all of his next films being so heavily male focused to go back to this and sort of see how women and men interact and what, what he's trying to say there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so hard to beat him up for alien three when it's like this, the the script is like this amorphous sort of Frankenstein concoction of like seven (laughs) years of different scripts. It's yeah. But I mean, he does a lot with what he's given, like he's handed a, a, a turd sandwich and he makes it the tastiest turd sandwich. Yeah. And let's remember that the closing, the scene of Ripley falling into the, into oh, iconic. whatever yes. it is. I call absolutely iconic. Like yeah. very yeah. visual storytelling by David Fincher. I mean, you have to appreciate that. Like he, he still had the juice to like end that thing the way it, it had to end. 
Yeah. Um, that it's, you know, it, it with with the sacrifice, uh, spoiler alert for Alien 3. Um, <laughs> all right, for my number three pick, I am going to take a TV show. And it is The House of Cards, which obviously, you know, because it starred Kevin Spacey for five out of six seasons, makes it kind of problematic. But I think you don't get Netflix of the last 10 years without House of Cards. And uh, this is like the like the techno kind of visionary side of David Fincher that he was like the first one on board this idea of like, Ooh, like big stars, big budget, Netflix, 13 episodes all in one day, binge it, binge it now. Um, and, and because he's sort of like the first one out of the gate, um, house of cards becomes a phenomenon. I mean, it's easy now that, you know, Netflix is, uh, a meat grinder of a production house that just like sort of grinds stuff out, puts it on. And, you know, Tim and I had this discussion last week about fair play, which is this buzzy um, came out of Sundance, like Netflix buys it coming out of Sundance for $20 million. And uh, a month after it's released, you have to like physically search you have to punch in the f-a-i-r to find this, this buzzy movie that might have some awards consideration. That's gotten a lot of buzz because it just goes into the Netflix pipe and disappears. House of Cards didn't have that. House of Cards was on the front page forever. Um, and it also had, I mean, you know, it's, it's effect on politics too. everything, you know, became sort of a house of card, house of cards reference, at least until Veep sort of enters the zeitgeist. Um, but that's Fincher. Like Fincher was, uh, you know, ahead of the curve on that one. And I mean, I wasn't a huge house of cards fan. It's a fine show. Um, but I think what it will be mostly remembered for is how it helped create the binge culture of Netflix. And, you know, Fincher was there from, from the jump. I think, I think Mindhunters will probably be the series that he will be remembered for. Cause I, you know, people are still clamoring for a season three, even though he's more or less like said that, no, there's no season three, but, um, people still want it, but you know, house of cards, I, you know, you, you don't get Mindhunters without house of cards either. So I think that's. That that's what makes it noteworthy. All right, so all right, yet brings us to Candace's number three. Yeah, so now we're getting into the music videos. Okay, and so I'm going to make a case okay. that this needs to be added to your to your top five because <laughs> um, I knew that David Fincher was a music that came out of music videos, and obviously mm -hmm. I knew that I had seen some of them, but I just didn't really. Until we sort of looked at this and I looked, pulled up a list, mm -hmm. um, I, I couldn't have told you any that I knew at the time or mm -hmm. even like between now and then were directed by David Fincher. Mm -hmm. However, I pulled up the list and the, the first one that I saw was so clearly, I was like, of course, of <laughs> course. So this is an Aerosmith song mm -hmm. and there's only one Aerosmith song that you think of the video and go, of course it was directed by David Fincher. There was no music video that is more David Fincher than the <laughs> video for Janie's Got a Gun, <laughs> which is a narratively told story about a daughter who's being sexually abused by her dad and she shoots him. And everything about it just screams Fincher so clearly. Like mm. the cops all over the place that are like looking for the murder of, you know, they, they come to the murder, they find the body, they find like all these things and they're they're investigating it and we find out it's the daughter. Mm -hmm. The 
the visual iconography, like there's one scene in particular that anytime I think of Janie's Got a Gun, I think of this particular visual and it is so, so exactly David Fincher. Like it it basically could go into like a museum as like example of David Fincher. And it's the five or, or seven cops coming over sort of the, the road into the ditch. It's backlit, lots of smoke <laughs> everywhere. And the five guys all have their, like, they're clearly detectives because they all have their hats and their trench coats and they have their flashlights going in all sorts of different directions, going down into the ditch where the car is. It is like, just pause that and, and put it up as like, <laughs> here is an example. <laughs> if you ever want to know what David Pinter's iconography is, this is it right here. Backlighting, dark, moody like <laughs> flashlights going everywhere not only that we really get a lot of um the the sort of cgi kind of stuff that he kind of does particularly you know with with opening credits and things like that right. where we see um first we're seeing each of the 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 six you know bullets going into the bullet um and then there's actually a a pull out from the the uh, gunshot in the father that's like it's just so i'm like oh yeah yeah we yeah we it's it's lavishly murder. produced it's a lavishly produced murder yeah yes yes <laughs> and of course like to the point where it's actually um so leslie i mean i think all three of the the people who are acting in it are are actors but leslie ann warren is the most familiar to people who will see here and go oh yeah that's like tv's julia roberts right mm. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of what she looks like but she was in clue and and things like that like it's she's so recognizable as the the mom um it's just like you would think that this was actually a song that was from a, a the soundtrack of a movie and what yeah. you're seeing are are scenes of the movie yeah so to me janie's got a gun is is classic fincher music video yeah that's a good one I'll allow it. Um, so, to revisit your, your previous topic about uh, you know women not necessarily being at the heart of a Fincher movie, <laughs> uh, my next pick, my my number four, is it's you know there's a woman right in the title, the girl with the dragon tattoo, and I feel like it's overlooked because I you know, you know the Fincher version came like way after the whole dragon girl with the dragon tattoo phenomenon comes out in 2013 so the books are the original swedish trilogy is is long since you know finished um and forgotten too i mean it was such a phenomenon in like 06 07 but um i i like this it it, it feels like it most captures uh the fincher like music video aesthetic because some like there's key sequences built around like music, uh, like very specific songs. Of course, the most uh, <laughs> the most obvious one is when uh, um, Stellan Skarsgård has Daniel Craig uh, in his torture chamber and Enya's playing. Um, probably <laughs> not what Enya envisioned um, when she was writing her music, but uh, also just like the the sheer percussiveness of the immigrant song, the the cover of the immigrant song the Led Zeppelin tune to open up the film. Um, although the film itself is very sort of deliberately placed and very procedural and very, goes very step-by-step step. just like the, the, the base, the, just the, the pounding of that song and the way it's arranged just, and, and of course the, the title sequences as well, just sort of like 
like blasts you off through the rest of this movie. And I, I think that um, there's a real hot, and again, to look ahead to a bit to the killer, the killer has some of this too, where like the, just the initial like opening of the film sets a tone um, girl, with the dragon tattoo does that too. And also I, there's really great, um, you know, there's really great performances with Daniel Craig, but like Rooney Mara um, as um, Elizabeth Salander, this is, like Rooney Mara was not the obvious choice and like it was a murderer's row of actresses in their uh early to late twenties who were up for this. And it, you know, Rooney Mara was sort of like the one you'd least suspect, the last one you put money on. But boy is she good. Boy does she have presence, even though that presence is sort of like, you know, spidery and kind of like run Kafka-esque running along the sides, uh, you know, it's trying not to get noticed but i mean her look is like screaming notice me but it's it's just a fascinating uh character it's a fascinating story and and fincher really does it justice because you know you could look at that the original swedish movie and go like well why do we need an american version well fincher says well this is this is how i would do it and you completely go with it you completely it's one of those rare sort of american remakes you didn't know you need that you needed so uh kudos to grow with the dragon tattoo so mm -hmm. that is one of the ones that i have not seen mm. um i read the book and was not as <laughs> um uh like over the moon as everybody else it happens yeah so <laughs> all right so your next pick yes your number four my number four uh, is a Paula Abdul video. So mm -hmm. you do have Paula Abdul on there. And I'm mm -hmm. going to make a case for a different Paula Abdul video. Okay. Um, I think you said straight up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, totally understandable. Again, that really fits into the the like visual style, the black and white, this and that. Um, but uh, David Fincher actually um, did, I think, five or six paula abdul videos all from that first record of hers which i owned and loved every single <laughs> song is just amazing she had so many hits off of it um but my favorite not only of like all of her videos but also like the videos that were directed by him is actually cold-hearted mm. um which uh is a different one because all the ones that he's done with her except for this one were all were that like black and white sort of thing they're all very good they have a lot of a lot of you know nice things about them, but this one I think is actually the best one because one it is different. It's not in black and white. It's in color, and it's not whites and blues like so many <laughs> of his other in color ones, um, like Express. Uh, is that the the Madonna one? Whatever. Express um, yourself as Madonna. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also think that this one. So this I think. Uh, ties in very well with Ex Express Yourself. It's a very similar sort of thing with a lot of like bodies and dancing. And I think this one is way, way sexier. So again, this is another classic sort of Fincher thing where it's a little bit narrative because we get three stuffy office type people, two guys in suits <laughs> and a woman in like a, you know, power suit, but with a skirt um, showing up to presumably whatever they're investors maybe or something in in paula abdul's broadway show who knows they show up they sit down to watch the performance in their rehearsal space and so all what's great here is that she's got so many dancers and paula abdul not only was i mean primarily before she was a, a pop singer she was a choreographer yeah 
for Janet Jackson. She did some stuff for Madonna, all that sort of stuff. So this one really shows off more than straight up does her choreography skills because there's about 12 people in this, men and women, um, all in, you know, typical sort of dancing, like bodysuits and things like that. Lots of bare skin, lots of fishnets um, <laughs> and everybody dancing in a well-lit big rehearsal space. And the dancing is making the mm-hmm. <laughs> the straight, you know, the straight up investors, if you want to go that way. Um, not, I would say uncomfortable, but like uncomfortable in a like, oh, what this, this is. <laughs> It, intriguing this is making me feel things um and it's great to see this and then at one point they actually bring down the blinds which again i was just like there's the fincher too when we start playing with all the light <laughs> and how the light moves around the room and what's lit up and there's actually a scene here because they have all the scaffolding where they're all in the scaffolding and paula abdul's face is kind of behind where the 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 x is kind of created by some of the scaffolding and all their arms and limbs and everything is all around them which reminds me very much again of the madonna video but i'm like i i still arguably like this is so much sexier all Mm. of these bodies just like moving together (laughs) um I just I I love this video. It is absolutely one of the ones that I go back to regularly. This and um, opposites attract with <laughs> the cat. You know the cat. The, those are my two favorite. But <laughs> you know I, I just I love this one. Is just so good. It shows off what Paula Abdul can do, and it shows off what David Fincher can do. And again, in a different sort of style like he's still got his you know the light and all that sort of stuff and and Mm -hmm. working with these angular spaces but he's not really relying as much on some of the other tropes like the backlighting Mm -hmm. the black Mm -hmm. and white or the white and blue it's it's uh but then he's got these you know very typical dudes who are getting a little intrigued which is great (laughs) (laughs) uh okay granted um running out of time so i mean fight club was number five on my list uh so i mm-hmm. do need to find a sub i'm gonna go with panic room because i feel like it's it is another underestimated one um but i mean it, it's a great cast it's one of these movies where the hero is smart the villains are smart like they're not super geniuses but i mean in terms of the tit for tat re- action and reaction it is a lot of uh, fun to sort of watch people who uh, can think and are quick. And uh, Fincher does this really great thing at the beginning where he takes you through the house and he lays the scene. And it's it's it makes the film, it, it, you understand the geography of the house, you understand the mechanics of it, um, you understand how it's kind of going to go all lay out like from the panic room on down through the rest of the house. So he, he does a really great job of, 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 you know, teeing you up and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's sandwiched between fight club and Zodiac too. So I'm not, I'm not sure if this, you know, he's such a odd duck in the way that like, what does he choose and when does he choose it? This seems like I got to get something going here might as well be panic room. Um, but I mean that that almost like feels like throwing it away, and I don't think it should be thrown away. It it, it is a really well made, really well executed, and well acted film um, from you know Jodie Foster, Jared Leto, 
Forrest Whitaker, uh, Dwight Yoakam, like so scary in, in, in Panic Room, Dwight Yoakam, and young Kristen Stewart too. So um, they're they all very, very good. And I I feel like Panic Room is one of these ones that kind of gets us underestimated. So I do want to raise that a bit, I think, as my last pick. Yeah. Okay, my last one, uh, I will take a Suit and Tie by, uh, by, by JT, um, which was, like I said, it was... It was um, <laughs> I was going between only by nine inch nails and suit and tie. I actually prefer suit and tie to only, even though I put only on there. Um, but the the suit and tie, uh, it's just it looks like a million dollars. It looks like <laughs> it's so highly produced because this is this came out in what I think two thousand and twelve or something. It's long mm-hmm. after Fincher has has stopped directing music videos. He's gone on to movies and television. He's a big star. Um, so clearly things like only and suit and tie he's going back to direct videos for people that he really likes Mm -hmm. and he's got big budgets and it looks like it and suit and tie not i mean i love the song too but i have watched this video like a (laughs) billion times because i really really like it justin timberlake has never looked to me more adult (laughs) and attractive Ooh, right twofer. like he he actually looks like an an attractive man as opposed to a very cute boy <laughs> I'm like oh he is an adult look at this that's incredible um the song is great his you know it's he's got this uh old school sort of like on a vegas like lounge stage kind of look again like fincher's lighting so much backlighting um you know lighting from you know behind the stage in front of the stage as we're seeing all of uh you know justin on stage singing it's just i i just i love it i love Mm. it honestly like i i it came out and i was like wow this video is great and uh i have watched it even today i've watched it a number of times Mm -hmm. um okay well then that is the fincher draft um let me just do a quick recap here. I had House of Cards, Zodiac, The Social Network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Panic Room. Candace had Fight Club, Alien 3, uh, Janie's Got a Gun, uh, Suit and Tie, and uh, Cold Hearted, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Now that we've laid out the scene, Fincher-wise speaking, we're going to get into the killer, his new film. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Jamie's got a gun. Jamie's got a gun. The dog days just begun. Now everybody's on the run. Tell me now it isn't true. What did her daddy do? Popeye the Sailor probably said it best. I am what I am. 
I'm not exceptional. I'm just a part. Consider yourself lucky if our paths never cross. Except luck isn't real, nor is karma, or sadly, justice. As much as I'd like to pretend these concepts exist, they just don't. Okay, so that was a clip from The Killer. It's a new film from David Fincher, who we've been talking about, and it stars Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton, Charles Parnell, Carrie O'Malley, Sala Baker, and Arliss Howard. Uh, it's based on a graphic novel, a French graphic novel. It's been in Fincher's to-do list for some time, and uh, now it's finally here. And so... Candace, what were your thoughts sitting down to watch Michael Fassbender wax poetically about how dull and exacting <laughs> it is to be a professional killer? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's about you know. Uh, do you know what this movie started? great i really i love the whole opening scene i love the it's it's all on fastbender waiting you know it's all on the killer waiting we know obviously what's going on he's here to do a hit we don't really know who it's who he's doing the hit against and we're just getting the the his life right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and i like that the whole like you know this this life is not exciting you have to be able to just do nothing for days on end um and i really liked that and i liked the way that we're sort of being introduced to the very meticulous way that he needs to keep everything going like he's you know rebuilding and taking down his gun he's Mm. doing his yoga Mm -hmm. he's sleeping i mean i don't actually know how long at a time but maybe like 15 minutes at a time i don't know overnight Mm -hmm. he's got you know an alarm that wakes him up every however long so he checks and then goes back to sleep um and his you know narration over top was great i was like all in um and then the actual hit that he's doing does not go well and the whole movie kind of changed mm-hmm. um and i don't know that i was on board for the cha- i mean the, the movie was great it was a very good movie however mm. I didn't care for the main character and I didn't really <laughs> care whether like, I just like this was a stupid mistake that definitely was clear it was going to happen. And also, I can't believe for a second that this hasn't happened before by yeah. you. He's yeah. supposed to be like have done this hundreds of times. I'm like, if you've done this hundreds of times, then you have certainly created collateral damage like this is not it's impossible to think that this is the first time that he's accidentally shot someone else who was nearby so i just didn't really buy the um like the severity yeah Yeah. of what had happened Mm. or that he was really that good at his job because i'm like yes uh i'm sorry could you not figure that it you would accidentally shoot this woman like obviously she's like dancing in front of this guy like it was a dumb it was a very dumb mistake yeah um i don't know if i just if i was just watching it too straight 
Mm. Um, I've mm. seen a lot of people talk about how it's sort of a self-parody. It's kind of parodying his own, like metic- David Fincher, that is, yeah. his own meticulousness yeah. and how sometimes you make stupid mistakes and, and all of this. I'm like, <laughs> maybe I just wasn't watching that movie. I was just watching Fastbender and I was like, you're, you, he doesn't seem like he's very good at his job. That's kind of what I came up with at the end. I wasn't rooting for him at any point in time. Um, but So I don't know. I'm like, did they actually do that really well? Is this what I'm supposed to be left with or, or what? I don't know. <laughs> those are all like incredibly valid points. And I think that's like, I think that's because it's all from his point of view. So he, you know, he, we, we kind of know he's an unreliable narrator and it happens several times in the film Yes, that he miscalculates. Um, he shoots while the, he's narrating, while he's like, narrating yes. stick to the plan, don't improvise. And then he doesn't stick to the plan and he, <laughs> it's, I know he has this, this thing, um, stick to your, stick to your plan, anticipate, don't improvise, trust no one, never yield an advantage. Fight only the battle you're paid to fight. Forbid empathy. Empathy is weakness. Weakness is vulnerability. But he is empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, he does improvise. Um, it, it's so bizarre, and you're you're so right. It's like this, and he even talks about it in the narration. You know, sometimes you know collateral. I don't remember the exact line, but he definitely talks about how like sometimes in these situations where he's you know in a sniper's nest you know there's going to be people who unintentionally pay the price and he also talks a lot about how he hates these kinds of jobs like he much would much rather have like a more creative kill like you know slowly poisoning someone or (laughs) these things so it's just he's so full of himself Mm -hmm. and you can't you're you're right about the thing with like you you know he's gonna mess up because otherwise there's no movie, um, but yeah. like the the plot synopsis from IMDb I wrote it down after a fatal near miss an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal which is like the most banal like plot <laughs> description for, yeah. for a movie about a professional killer but um yeah I was waiting it's, for it's, him to mess up it yeah was, it's like basically a like a like a not a boring because it wasn't boring but it was no. like a it was like watching john wick it's like this this is just john wick only <laughs> the guy actually deserves what's coming to him this this <laughs> is yeah this is the boring ass version of john wick yeah um and, i mean the like the one sort of like frantic chase sequence is like when he when he fails to kill the guy and he like tears out of the the mm-hmm. we work office <laughs> yes, that was highly entertaining. I actually paused it and went, "Wait, did I just see that? Did it say we work?" And I went back. I was like, "Oh, it did. That's yeah, yeah. perfection, I- perfection right now." <laughs> yeah, no, but he tears out of the WeWork office, gets on the scooter, and he's driving through Paris, and he's not running from anyone in particular. But like, there's like sirens going on all around because obviously there was like a shooting, and police are responding, but like nobody's chasing him. I know. I was watching it going. <laughs> Dude, you are acting very suspicious right now. Like this is not a cool exit. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 funny to me the whole thing later on though with the dog um where he mm-hmm. you know, he buys the the ground chuck and the sleeping pills and he doesn't give enough to like really knock the dog. Also, it's not it's not an option for him to kill the dog. 
it seems kind of bizarre for a cold-blooded killer to be like, no, no, I'll knock out the dog yeah. and then sneak in. <laughs> that's That seems like bad like operational awareness. Yeah, that's empathy. Exactly. <laughs> nobody who's empathetic. They're like, nobody who's not empathetic spares the dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I can, I can buy that I was watching it straight and it was actually supposed to be a bit more of a parody. Mm. I can totally buy that. Mm-hmm. However, I think that in that case, it should have been, there was just, if <laughs> there are very few times that I have, uh, that I have agreed with other people who have said, I don't know, this kind of seemed like a straight to Netflix sort of thing. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't know. I watch Hallmark mm. movies. But mm-hmm. this felt like, oh, this is not a big budget theatrical release. I disagree. This is I, a straight to Netflix sort of thing. Because I, I watched this the first time in theaters. Mm-hmm. I saw it at, at Galaxy when it was in theaters a couple of weeks ago. Just sort of like on a lark. Um, because I saw the trailer for this. I was like, yeah, all right. Um, but seeing it in theater like with the sound design and with like yeah the, just like how immersive it is and how it like really puts you in fastbender's head um i was glued to my seat the whole time i i, I this this really was a really deep theatrical i, I, I thought it was still hmm. good watching it at home but it was really immersive in the theater at least i thought so yeah interesting interesting it's what's so one thing i definitely noticed mm. um and I said before we started recording that what I really like is this has given me just a great excuse to go <laughs> listen to a bunch of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Yeah. Um, because so primarily in this film, uh, there's actually uh, diegetic music because uh, the killer uh, is a huge fan of the Smiths. And just sidebar, mm. if I had to listen to that much Morrissey, I would probably be shooting people too. <laughs> um, like seriously, mm. I think he listened to... Uh, eight or ten different songs that were all played in the movie um i mean morrissey's a problematic figure now too so yeah exactly um but uh there's one point so when when he is um fighting with the the floridian uh nobody Mm -hmm. in this movie has any names really he's the brute he's the yeah the brute uh (laughs) so the the big guy um you know the fight scene was pretty good actually and it was suddenly When he was smashed, well, I don't remember which one of them was smashed against the coffee table, that I suddenly realized, oh, all of that noise that's making this fight like so tense is actually the score. Hold on. And then it was just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot because there's been so much of the Smiths that I haven't really registered mm. the other music going on. And and it was so great in that particular scene. It really, um, it really made that scene a lot more hectic yeah. feeling um i i don't know but i believe that um fassbender could take on this guy <laughs> who was like i don't know a foot and a half taller uh and <laughs> he was at a least yeah. 200 pounds heavier yeah for sure <laughs> but i i think as we're talking about this i'm like you know what david fincher made a coen brothers movie it's just it's he, yeah, he made he, it in his Fincher is very serious Fincher way. It's a yeah, Coen Brothers. It's just thing. it's missing a little. It's missing. It's I don't know. Maybe but, it's missing the wink to the audience. But there's Am a I little that basic. <laughs> it may, there's a there's there is humor in this too. There's that line in the elevator where he's in the elevator. He has the 
the secretary of his like his handler hostage he has the handler's body in this like recycling bin and they're in the elevator going down and this other guy gets on and he turns to him and says hey you need any help with the body and the the, the secretary lets out this like gulping <laughs> laugh <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which is just like this like very human exchange in the middle of all this like i'm a meticulous killer going about my meticulous day and my redundancies and it's um so i mean it it does have it, that there's humor at least in that one moment mm-hmm. um but yeah it just i i think i think you're supposed to sort of take i think you're supposed to be watching this like is he that good is he that <laughs> he's <smart?"> not <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i mean i think it's clear that he is not like it's very clear that he is actually not very good at his job um <laughs> but so then i was like okay so Am I waiting? Like, am I am I rooting for him to get it done, or am I rooting for him to not? I don't know. Right. And so, the other thing that we haven't really talked about is actually um, the revenge portion yeah. of this, because really, this is a revenge story. Yeah. Um. And I I don't know if it's just because they figure we don't actually have to give that many points. People understand. Yeah. revenge people understand human emotion that's fine yeah. yeah but so he goes home presumably to his sort of home base and his live-in girlfriend mm-hmm. um has been attacked and is like just brutalized mm-hmm. uh and so he goes to see her in the hospital and and then he's decided now that he's going to pay them all back and i'm not like I just felt like everything was just a little bit unclear. Uh, And again, like I said, I don't know if it's just because they're like, these are all very obvious things and you don't need to be handheld through it. But I'm Mm. like, there's something just a little bit missing here Um, because we don't really care about this woman or what she means to him or why he cares so much that he's actually going to now break all of his rules Mm. and kill his own employer. Mm Mm-hmm. To, to do this to get back at them all but mm. then the other question too is like because he goes to see his the the lawyer who who employs him for this mm-hmm. and the lawyer says uh you knew what the the you know what happens right you knew what would happen when this happens i don't understand why you went home yeah and i was like okay but so were they surprised that he had a live-in girlfriend and so then had to to attack her or did they go specifically to attack her and then why are you surprised that he went home because you would have done that as a response like you know what happens if you screw up we hurt your loved ones Mm. and how would he know unless he went home (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it's like i don't i don't understand what happened like did they go to try to kill him and so now they're all they all did the wrong thing too (laughs) Yeah, it's like one screw up after another, which is why this sort of like feels like a Coen Brothers movie. Um, it's just you know, it's a it's a bunch of people who you know think they're smart, um, but are just sort of like the victims of dumb fate. And yeah, that line where he says, "I didn't think you would go home," and it's just like there's a moment where it's like Charles Parnell's like, "Are you like, are you competent? <laughs> yeah, are you incompetent yeah. or am I incompetent?" Um, it's just. It's just run, and then the the client he he does eventually make his way to the man who hired him to shoot the man in Paris, and 
I don't want to ruin what happens, obviously, but they have this exchange and the client says, look, I've never done anything like this before. I just like called the number. They explained to me that it went wrong. And I said, well, what do you do in this circumstance? And they explained to me that they have like a insurance policy. I was like, yes, of course I want insurance. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it, it just, it feels so like transactional. Um, and, and I think that's why there's sort of like this, this satirical element to it as well. That like, um, Fincher, who makes this like anti-consumerist screed in Facebook, this is like a pro-consumerist screed almost. It's like, look how wicked easy it is to be a a, a professional killer. You just, and I I did look this up. You know, he orders a a, a key fob copier from Amazon. I was like, I'm gonna look mm-hmm. it up on Amazon and see if I can get a key fob. <laughs> and you can. Yeah. Um, it's it's like really remarkable. Just you know, I don't know if it's pro-consumerist, but it's definitely like a message like guys remember when i said consumerism is bad like look look what we've done yeah i mean the other thing right he just goes to like home hardware or something and buys a nail gun and a recycling bin like contactless pickup contactless pickup too yeah (laughs) it's it's something else it's i don't like i'm not 100 percent sure what he's trying to say either but uh, i mean this is one of those movies where it's like you can look at it a dozen different ways and it says something you don't know what and because like a lot of these characters sort of like come and go you spend all your time with fassbender um like parnell comes in tilda swinton comes in uh arliss howard comes in it's um it's just it's so it's so fast like he's using all these like names of famous sitcom characters too and nobody's like hey your name's like archie bunker it's like have we forgotten all in the family have we forgotten (laughs) cheers it's I mean, it really speaks to just how kind of disposable our culture is in a bizarre way on top of this, just like being this, you know, narrative about like the the doldrums of being a professional killer. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot yeah. going on. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Fight Club was funny. Like, I it know funny. that he can be funny, even Social Network. Granted, it's that's funny. Aaron Sorkin also, There's but it's Sorkin. funny. I yeah. know that he can actually put funny into his films mm-hmm. you know when he's trying to sort of satirize things so i i don't know what happened here i don't know why it didn't work for me fastbender however was great <laughs> um i think it's definitely a choice for him to have acted the way he did because he can absolutely play cold and motionless his mm. characters of david in the alien movies yeah um, is very good and, and he, very he does, cold does, and scary. He does internal very well too. Like you can, he's one of those guys who can who can show you that he has a lot going on. Yeah. And, so his choices here yeah. are obviously on purpose. Yeah. To to not actually portray that coldness. Yeah. Um. You know, I also have a note here that he's like a less interesting Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Like. Yeah. No, I think that's fair too. Um. Yeah, I just I assume these are all choices and that what what is on the screen and what I believe they have said is actually the choice they've made on purpose and for it just didn't it just didn't work for me for some reason. Well, it worked for me and uh I wish I wish it's something like people could see in the theater cuz I think it really works really really well in the theater. So like and that's not to say it doesn't work on TV at home on Netflix too, but um I I it's it's one of those netflix conundrums where they can't like let movies be in theaters for very long but 
We'll have to leave that there. That's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can listen to our show again by downloading it every Friday from our website at endcreditsradioshow.com, from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or your favorite app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU. You can stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I'll be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on open sources, Guelph. And in the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca, which brings me to Candace, who will tell us where else you can find her on the internet. Yes, uh, you can find me everywhere at Sin48, that's C-I-N-N-4-8. I'm still going to push everybody to my letterbox, which is the, the you know best place to find things out. I have just done a rewatch of every single one of the Fast and the Furious movies, some of them being first-time watches, um, and have, uh, have made a list and ranked them against each other. So if you care to know how bad I thought Fast X was, you can go Oof. check that out. <laughs> Oof, it was a rough one. Even I admit it. Five stars one. for Jason Samoa, zero stars for everything else around him. <laughs> uh, where was I? Stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another end credits, and we will see you then. <laughs>